Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker. I'm Michael Rashad. And my name is John Mark Osborne. And we've invited Mark La Rochelle back because we're going to be covering the various methods for hosting a solution, including the new Cloud 2.0. We touched on it a little bit with Mark in his last interview, A View from 30 Years of Experience. But we brought Mark in again because we wanted to spend more time on this subject because there's a lot of confusion about it. We want to make sure that everybody understands what options there are out there because there's not one single option that's perfect for every person. So in that last interview, we got a lot of information. We like to get information about, you know, a little bit of personal information about people. And we got that in the last interview. So we're going to go straight into the discussion about hosting options. And we're going to start off with a little bit about Mark's background in hosting. So you know he's an expert in hosting. So my first question is, how long have you been offering hosting services, Mark? Yes. Well, hello, everybody. We actually started um, a second round of hosting on April 12th, 2012. And when I say second round, early on in our company's history, we actually used to host websites, domains, email, and um, you know, rudimentary FileMaker. We didn't really call it FileMaker hosting back then. But, uh, and then we stopped because we sold our IT division. And then later in 2012, we said, hey, we can start hosting again. FileMaker is more friendly over the wide area network. And then that's what we started with back in 2012. And can you remember back to the first hosted solution that you you created or your company created and how it was hosted, you know, the hardware, the software, it just might be an interesting thing to see how far things have come. Well, if you're talking about very, very early on, it was hosted on a Windows box, essentially. It was probably Windows Server 2008. Uh, it might have been even earlier than that. but uh, And it was just, let's just say, a basic CRM or maybe even uh, Core 2 or Core 3 back then, you know, which was our CRM product. Someone wanted hosted, so we would host it for them out of our own office, in fact. But in 2012, we decided to you know, officially make hosting available to the marketplace. And that was when we started hosting. And incidentally, we started hosting on Mac minis back then with a dedicated data center. So that's how it was first done. And the solutions were really simple. They, you know, you couldn't put a full-fledged uh, system, you know, back. I mean, you could, but it wouldn't work very well. So, you know, the mileage would vary based on uh, the complexity of the solution. Mark, I have a question for you. I've always been led to believe or told that if you're using hosting a machine with FileMaker, that machine should be dedicated just to FileMaker. Is that correct? Well, that's in its purest sense, that is correct. Uh, that's not always abided by in the, in the world of FileMaker. In the world of FileMaker hosting, I would say that it is abided by. If you're a professional hosting company nowadays, uh, I believe for the most part, you don't see these servers having multiple uses. Maybe occasionally they're running some form of web service or some side application, let's say uh, something from uh, 360 Works like MirrorSync or things like that. Those those sometimes work in tandem with FileMaker hosting. Uh, but as a general rule, no, it's it's frowned upon. You want the machine to be dedicated to FileMaker server. Now, with that being said, take your typical enterprise customer slash um, small, medium company, 
on-premise servers. Um, because they do what they do, they tend to run FileMaker Server with other services if they're not watching closely or abiding by best practices. In that particular situation, though, Mark, if they're doing that and they've got some kind of automatic backup system like Retrospect, if even that still exists, is there not a danger that in using that to the FileMaker files that they're open instead of just using FileMaker Server to back to schedule the backups? Is there not some risk of the files being damaged by using a third-party backup routine? Oh, absolutely. Well, the golden rule, and it's stated several places in the documentation, is you never back up the live files, you never touch the live files, you don't rename the live files, you just leave the live files there while they're being hosted. Uh, and that includes spam protection, virus protection, any kind of um, any kind of scanning on those files is hugely frowned upon and has been documented for years in that way. It's not, like I said, it's not always been abided by, especially for small companies who may not be keen to all the different things they need to be paying attention to. Uh, but that is absolutely the rule. It is okay, however, to back up the backups. You can use traditional backup technologies to back up the backups, uh, provided the backup isn't happening at that very moment. But for the most part, if you schedule it correctly and you're paying close attention, you'll be able to have a, a nice smooth uh, operation. Okay, great. Yeah, I've, I've done quite a few uh, uh, FileMaker servers. I used to have a couple pizza boxes where I had my copy of FileMaker server running on there. And yes, it is possible to run other programs on your FileMaker server and not have problems. It's the chance that there might be a conflict that crashes your FileMaker server, crashes your databases, and then possibly corrupts them. That's what the concern is. If you're running a lean mean server machine without file sharing on it, virus checking, you know, an email server and all those things. While they may work fine, it's possible an update might come along or you might add another app and that's the one that makes the conflict going and all of a sudden you have corrupted databases. And that's what people are trying to avoid by saying that you should have FileMaker as the only thing on that server because that's where the corruption will happen. You need to make sure you don't have that those files damaged in any way, you can crash your, your guest machine and that usually is not going to cause a problem. It's that server. And so you want it to just be running a hundred percent of the time, never crashing and, you know, and running smoothly. And then you unlikely to need to revert to a backup ever. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I agree with that. So let's define a little bit of terminology uh, for, for hosting. Um, and I wrote down a couple of things. I'm sure you have some other terminology that I want to make sure people understand when we refer to these things that they're clear what they are. So uh, the host and the guest, can you define those for us and give us any other pieces of terminology that might be helpful when you know reading stuff about hosting or talking to other people? Sure. Well, the host in a generic sense is anything that uh, shares a FileMaker database so technically, um, there's a couple different types of hosts in a sense. There's the traditional FileMaker server that you that we all know as the host of various FileMaker files. Um, traditionally, there has been the option and still is today, although it's deprecated, and we'll talk about that in a second. You do have the option of taking a, a plain copy or a client copy of FileMaker Pro Advanced, just the traditional FileMaker Pro Advanced, and share files with that particular um, piece of software. And in a sense, when you do that, that becomes the host. Um, and then everything else essentially is the client or the guest. 
And when we talk about guests, we're talking about most of the time we're talking about FileMaker Pro Advanced itself being the guest or the thing that's logging into the file, but the files actually exists and being hosted by a FileMaker server. So you have for guests, you have FileMaker Pro Advanced, you have FileMaker Go on the iOS devices. You have FileMaker WebDirect, which is web compatibility or web capability of FileMaker. And then you have various other technologies, which in a sense can act or behave like guests. Things like, like a web page connecting to FileMaker's data API, a web page uh, connecting via PHP, uh, other technologies using ODBC, JDBC, ESS, all those things um, can be considered guests or clients to the data. It's not always web pages, it can be applications too. But for the most part, the host is FileMaker server, the guest is those are the things I've mentioned. Traditionally, FileMaker Pro Advanced, FileMaker Go, and WebDirect are the big three. The others I mentioned are um, are used, but more adjuncts and not as discussed when you're looking at FileMaker licensing and things like that. So you mentioned two of the hosting options, which are FileMaker Server and FileMaker Pro Advanced, whatever they're calling it these days. I'm not sure what to call it. It changes all the time. Um, those are two options. Now, can you talk uh, a little bit about what the difference between FileMaker Pro Server and Advanced is, and then maybe go into a little a short description of AWS and Cloud 1.0 and Cloud 2.0 and all that stuff. Those are the other options. Yeah, we'll do a high-level flyover of those technologies, and then we can possibly break it down into more detail, comparing side by side. So when you think about FileMaker Server, you really have to think about three different product types. And regardless of their deployment, you think about three different products. So the first product is FileMaker Server. And I use the word traditional because it was the first to market. And that's the one we always think of, or at least guys like I, like me, I always think of FileMaker Server. Where it gets confusing is that FileMaker Server can run on-premise in a person's office or organization. And we call that on-premise traditional FileMaker Server. And you can also take that same exact flavor of software and run that in the cloud using your own mechanism, your own cloud mechanism, whatever that may be. It could be AWS, it could be Microsoft Azure, it could be any of the Google services, or it could be your own privatized data center, or it could be co-located on a data center. But in all of those cases that I just mentioned, you're still using traditional FileMaker server to do the hosting. And that's where like companies like us, when we say we're a FileMaker hosting company, we would use traditional FileMaker server and host it. In our case, most of our stuff now is on AWS, Amazon Web Services. So that's the first piece of software when you talk about FileMaker hosting or FileMaker server, that is the software, whether it runs on-premise or in the cloud, that's the only distinction. Then you have two other types of products, completely different pieces of software. Uh, not by name necessarily. Well, actually, they're different by name as well as technology. So the first one to market was called, originally, it was called FileMaker Cloud. And that's all it was called. And that's where this subject starts getting a little confusing because when FileMaker Inc. or Claris Now released it, it was called FileMaker Cloud. And it ran exclusively on AWS and it ran exclusively on an individual's AWS account. 
In other words, it didn't run on FileMaker's AWS account. It ran on your AWS account, whatever account that you happen to have. And if you didn't have one, you had to create one. When FileMaker Cloud 2.0 came out recently, October 29th, I believe it was, 2019, then there had to be a distinction because, uh, so they renamed, and they didn't rename it in October, they renamed it several months ago, but it's that original FileMaker Cloud 1.0 has been renamed to FileMaker Cloud for AWS, but it's the same exact software in terms of how it's delivered, how it's distributed, and what it does. That particular software, FileMaker Cloud for AWS, has been officially deprecated. There'll be one more version, .19, and then it will go away after that. In fact, it says here in black and white, FileMaker Cloud for AWS version 1.18 will be available in 2019, followed by FileMaker Cloud for AWS version 1.19, which will be the last version released. And that's it. That's all she wrote. So that is a product that's going away. The, the million dollar question is, well, if it's going away, can you still buy it today? You absolutely can, but you won't necessarily find it on FileMaker's website or Claris's website. You'll have to find it under the AWS marketplace and you can still buy it there today. Would I recommend buying it today? Not necessarily because it is going away. It's going to be eventually not supported. I don't know if it says on there when they plan on actually discontinuing it, but in the past with at least FileMaker, it's usually two versions that they stop supporting something. I don't know if that's going to be the same case here or if it's just going to remain vague when it's going to actually go away. Yeah. So uh, I read that it was good and through 2022 as far as the last date that they'll support it. And I think there's an actual hard date on that as well, not just a year. And that AWS the cloud 1.0, whatever they're calling it, that runs on Linux, is that correct? That runs on Linux, yes. Officially, it runs on Linux, although they don't really advertise that aspect of it. They just say it runs on AWS in the cloud, but it is Linux. So it's not using Windows um, as its home operating system. Um, and there's a lot of advantages to that because then they don't have to necessarily pay Microsoft an additional license fee to host it because Linux will have um, you know, no licensing fee attached to it. So then they can off, you know, they can mitigate some costs that way. But that's probably not the only reason they chose Linux. There's probably some other architectural advantages there too. Well, and I don't want to interrupt your cloud 2.0, which you're going to get into next, but I think it's so interesting that they're running FileMaker Server on Linux again, because they used to have it available years ago. I don't, I don't know if you remember that one, Linux. And I don't know how many versions were available for, but it was it was only a couple of versions of FileMaker Server that ran under Linux. And you didn't have to have AWS. You could just literally go out and buy a Linux box and install FileMaker Server on it. I, I just find it so interesting that all of a sudden it's back again because so many people were asking for it. Bring Linux back, you know, and uh, now it is back, but they just don't advertise it, right? Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know all the details as to why it was introduced or why it was removed for that matter. Um, like the Claris name itself, what's old is new again, and things do have a way of, history has a way of repeating itself. I think that the, the choice of Linux is more of a means to an end. I think when FileMaker started looking around at distributing their software platform and competing in the marketplace, which is largely uh, web and cloud-based solutions these days, they looked to partner to you know, what the number one provider, which currently is AWS, and built something to run on AWS. 
And during that architectural design, they probably quickly realized that Linux is the a great operating system to have. And maybe, just maybe, they dusted off the old code or the concepts of the old code and said, let's let's bring it back. So I, like you, I find it extremely interesting. So just before we go and really dive deeply into the cloud, let's go back to FileMaker Pro advanced hosting using a single machine as the host and other machines in the in the same building as guests. Mark had a qu- has a couple of questions. How many guests is really the maximum for that? I've always thought it was five, but I don't know whether I'm correct or not. You're 100% correct. It's five additional guests, not including the host itself. So there's the first person who opens it or the first machine that opens it would be the host in that case. And then from there, clients would piggyback onto that host using open remote, not double clicking on the file itself on some shared file server, but open remote, find the hosted file, and then uh, begin to share it. So there would be five plus the one. So technically, although it's it's not good to have the, the person who's hosting it actually be a user, but technically you could get six people in that scenario, and a lot of people did. However, uh, as you know, and I'll state it again, that's that's been deprecated. And in version FileMaker 18, the use of that is strictly forbidden in in a production environment. It's now claimed that this is for this is deprecated and it's for testing only, as far as um, as far as using it. Yeah, and that's that's an important thing because they're not putting any more development time into it. So you don't want to deploy it as a real solution that's been tested. I don't think they're even, in fact, even testing it anymore, and it'll eventually go away. So you, you're, you're really risking yourself by, by you know, trying to deploy a solution. In fact, it's funny. I, I remember, um, you know, so many people deploy this, this uh, FileMaker Pro as a host, and they do it where they put the, the actual FileMaker file on a shared server not the machine where the host is, and they let the first person who connects to the shared server launch that FileMaker file, and then they become the host, and the host might be somebody different the next day and the next day. It's the first person who launches it, but now what they're doing is, because FileMaker is a hard drive-based database system, it's exchanging information with the RAM and the hard drive constantly. So if your hard drive is across a network, and it has to go all the way across the network and then bring the information back. It was never designed to work that way. And there's a lot of latency there. You got to watch out about that. And it's a very common thing for people to do. And usually when they call up and they, they say, hey, my, my you know, database is damaged. And I'd start asking them, you know, I used to work in TechSport. I'd ask them, well, well what, how, what's your setup? And, and you'd end up finding out they had it on a server. And this is, a, you know, something we want to try to uh, avoid, uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult in the future because they're going to deprecate or discontinue this feature, but there's still people out there going to use it and really want to warn people. This is not a good option. Even, even backups are difficult. You have to quit out of FileMaker and, and then make the backup and then go ahead and launch it again. Cause if you make a backup on a live file, you could corrupt it. So it's a, this is a really important thing to pay attention to. I know they've deprecated a lot of things, but this is one I wouldn't play around with. Yeah, but there are a number of situations, and I've got one client that I'm thinking of directly, who has a very small business. They have a comic book store, and they have two people on two machines, and that's all the licenses they will never need. Well, under 
farmaker VLA, the only way they can buy two licenses is to buy five and have three extra, or they pay full price and buy two perpetual licenses. But they can't justify having five licenses. They can't justify having paying hosting fees. And because the second user is only using the system occasionally, it seems that Claris is sort of almost um, saying, do we not, are we not interested in these very small single single or triple, double, triple user installations? Well, that's a great question. And, um, and I'd like to talk about that, or at least, you know, conjure some ideas with you guys. Um, just to quickly circle back to the, the peer-to-peer and its deprecation, this one is a little bit more stern than other deprecations, and they've actually listed it here under, there's a page on FileMaker's website where you can go to, and it says deprecated and removed features in FileMaker 18. And the very first thing they start out with is FileMaker Pro Advanced peer-to-peer sharing will be deprecated with the next full version of FileMaker platform, which is 19, which could be as early as May you know, 2020. And I'm saying May, I don't know for sure what date FileMaker releases, but they typically release in May. So we'll see FileMaker 19 not even have the capability of making connections uh, in this manner. So that that is a lot more than just a traditional deprecation where they say, hey, stop using it. Eventually, we'll get rid of it. This one has a time, uh, an absolute time frame. So Michael, what you're saying is those customers that really don't need hosting there's just a small office with two people, but they want to share this, the data at the same time. Is FileMaker sort of, um, are they addressing this particular market or not? And I would probably say, uh, like with every business, they have to make hard decisions over architecture, over who their customers are and what's in their best interest and what's in their customer's best interest. And it feels to me that that particular scenario, and maybe it's a rare one or more rare than some of the multi-user deployments, it feels to me that um, for the most part, that is, I wouldn't say necessarily being ignored, but perhaps there's just not a perfect fit for for those situations. What would I do in those cases? What would I do if I had a customer in that exact scenario? I think I would try to get them on, I guess I would have to say, you'd have to go with a five user hosting situation. Basically you buy five users, you get the you know three versions of server, you get the five users used in any capacity on any part of the platform, discard the other three users. I mean, you won't be using them necessarily. So, but you're gonna be paying a lot more than, than you would have if you've got two perpetual, I mean, basically gone to the good old days. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I don't see any way around it at this point. What would I do with that customer? I don't know. I guess I'd have to say licensing costs have gone up, architecture changes, things are moving in this direction. And the cost of that is approximately $900, depending on what country you're in? Yeah, $900, depending on the country you're in. And um, you might also qualify for you know nonprofit discounts, education discounts. There's all kinds of ways to license it. But yeah, for the typical organization, it would be 900 a year. You know, I'm wondering if they couldn't negate this by just saying if you want a license, you can buy two licenses on a VLA, or you can buy three, or you can buy four instead of having a five minimum, which if you've only got two users and you've got to pay for five and you don't use those three, that kind of is a, it'll put a lot of people off going that route. Yeah. I would imagine it would. And I don't, you know, I'm sure that was a tough decision for them to have to make realizing that 
there are customers out there with this exact need. And I really can't speak for FileMaker over all of that. I would encourage you though, what I've seen FileMaker is really good at and friendly about is that if you if you reach out directly to the salespeople, sometimes they can either explain that better, potentially um, find another solution. Maybe uh, if they can't do anything, at least another voice is heard regarding how do we handle this particular thing. And we don't know all the things. I mean, the three of us only have the history and today to go by. We don't know what the future brings. <clears throat> and even even me as a platinum member and all that, just because I might know a little bit more than the average Joe in terms of what's coming next, I don't know most of it. So with that in mind, um, we don't know what they could be conjuring up to address this. And there may be something in the pipeline that is going to address it. But right now, it doesn't appear to be. Yeah, I hope so, because I think it's uh, it would be a short-sighted um, attitude to just negate those single, very, very small users. You know, a lot of single person companies, um, you know, couldn't ever use five and, you know, buying a perpetual license every, every year becomes very expensive because it's not now a one every 18 months, two year cycle. It's once a year. Right. Well, that that's called an annual license. The, the perpetual one is, is one that isn't necessarily bought new every year. It might be updated every year, but so when you're talking about a yearly thing in the 900 that John was mentioning, that's an annual license. Yep, yep, yep. Just to get clarity on the terms. Oh no, I was going to say I don't often agree with uh, with Michael, but uh, I'd have to agree with him on this. I mean, if you look back at the history of FileMaker, that was their bread and butter. These small companies, and it does seem like possibly they're maybe pushing them a little bit out, but the same thing happened with runtime too. I mean, it's been deprecated as well. And a lot of people are up in arms because they use it and they base their livelihood off of it. So it's, it's a tough thing. And and I only thing I can say is possibly the 80, 20 rule applied here because, you know, they're not getting that many people who are these tiny, small businesses versus, you know, they want to invest their money. They only have a limited amount of money and research they can do. So they want to invest it in the areas where they think is best for the company where they're really making the most money, which is with FileMaker Server and, and the hosting costs of are, are reasonable now. They're not outrageous. Um, maybe that's what they're thinking is that people can, you know, they don't have to buy FileMaker server. They don't have to buy a, a server. They can just go and do hosting with cloud 2.0. And so I think what we want to start talking about now, since we kind of interrupted you, Mark, is get back into your talk about, because you left off, I think, with AWS and cloud 1.0. And then I went into stuff about, you know, Linux, but then you were going to talk a little bit about cloud 2.0, an overview, a high overview of it. Sure. So, um, in order to reflect on what what is new and different and great about FileMaker 2.0, you have to kind of go back and rewind the clock a little bit about what might have been some of the shortfalls of FileMaker 1.0 for AWS. And the, the thing that that required in order to get started with FileMaker Cloud 1.0 for AWS is, is you had to have your own Amazon Web Services account. And for maybe someone who knee deep in IT or your most advanced developers or someone who already happens to play in that playground, that's trivial. You just basically set up an AWS account and you kind of know how to operate it and things like that. But for most businesses and most developers and most people in general, they don't necessarily uh, have expertise in AWS. So when you started with FileMaker Cloud, you would actually buy it through Amazon You'd purchase it there, and then it would be established for you 
you'd have to give them your Amazon information and you'd buy it through your Amazon account. And to kind of run it and maintain it, you'd have to kind of know a little bit about AWS. You wouldn't have to know a lot, but I, I know lots of people that got short-circuited with the, with the entire process, uh, the deployment process, the purchase process, and even the maintenance of it all. So um, there's been a lot of people that have had great success with it and, and are still using it today. But it wasn't as smooth as what FileMaker knew they could do. It's not. I. It wasn't ideal. I think uh, that's me speaking. That's my opinion. I think they thought it was not ideal. So FileMaker Cloud 2.0 was invented, and it still runs on AWS, but it's FileMaker's AWS account. So the truth of the matter is, you can have FileMaker Cloud and not know or have anything to do with AWS. You don't even have to say the words AWS. It's just FileMaker Cloud. The entire purchase process is done within the FileMaker website. You log in, you need something called a FileMaker ID, which is a kind of a new paradigm for a lot of people and potentially a source of additional confusion. But it's a new method to identify you within the FileMaker infrastructure. And FileMaker ID is how you're going to connect to FileMaker Cloud. So you, you buy it through there, you'll receive an email. It says, okay, welcome to FileMaker Cloud click on a link. That link will let you establish your admin console. In a sense, you pick a server name and uh, they will basically set up a FileMaker server for you, a space for you, and you'll have an admin console of sorts. You'll have the traditional admin console and then you'll have this other area that allows you to add users and groups and administrators in a web browser, all within the FileMaker um, web space. And that's how uh, they've deployed FileMaker Server now in the cloud without the pain and struggle of having to know anything about AWS or manage it. In addition to making things simpler on deployment and procurement, they've made it a lot easier in terms of understanding the licensing because you simply pick the number of users and um, you're good to go. They even size the machine type based on the number of users you pick. And you can override that, but they it's all sort of automatic. So I think it takes the confusion of buying FileMaker Server and buying FileMaker Cloud uh, totally out of the equation. So that's probably one of the biggest advantages is the is the whole, the way it works and the way it's purchased. So kind of like one-stop shopping, right? Yeah. You, you don't, you know, it's really, I, I mean, John, you used to work tech support. Imagine talking to a customer about their new FileMaker cloud setup for AWS and imagine saying, well, did you set up your AWS account? Oh, well, it might be a disconnection between this and that. And, and oh, did you, you know, so the licensing was separate from the deployment. And if you bought it, if you brought your own licensing, the licensing would be separate from the deployment. So there was a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And I think it's really tough to, and then, you know, do you blame AWS? Do you blame FileMaker? Who, who do you look to for answers? And I think it, it was a lot to hold as a tech support person, I would imagine. A lot to hold. Yeah, a lot of puzzle pieces, right? You have to buy each piece of the puzzle separately and put them all together. Now with the Cloud 2.0, the idea is you go to the FileMaker.com website, you click on a button, you say how many users you want, it gets you the licensing, it gets you the server, it sets, you know, tells you to, to upload your file, and, and, and it's really... Theoretically, uh, I haven't tried out. Should be really simple and easy to use. Certainly, when compared to, you know, the AWS or the Cloud 1.0. Yeah, 
I mean, it is puzzle pieces and things were purchased. They were procured in separate areas. It, they did make the process one continuous process for AWS. They did do that. But at the end of the day, you still had to have an AWS account. You still had to kind of look under the hood to see those charges were independent and distinct from your FileMaker licensing. So yeah, like you said, it's a lot to hold, a lot of moving parts, a lot of puzzle pieces, and just perhaps not the best for someone who just wants a simple server. I mean, that's why we're, we're in business doing FileMaker hosting, because a lot of people simply don't want to deal with all that. Now, you mentioned FileMaker ID. I want to clarify a little bit. When you have your hosted solution up there, do you have one FileMaker ID or do you have a FileMaker ID for each user that's connecting to the system? You have an ID. Each user has their own FileMaker ID. Okay. So so even if it's just one company and you have 50 people, you're going to have you know 50 uh, IDs con- to be able to connect up to the system. You're, I guess there's some way to, to allow uh, your solution to know which FileMaker IDs have access to it. Yes, um, that's another advantage of FileMaker Cloud is that you as a developer could potentially manage and maintain multiple customers if you were managing FileMaker Cloud on your customer's behalf. So you could technically keep your customer's hands out of it and purchase FileMaker Cloud, and there's even um, FBA pricing as well. So you could, as an FBA member or SBA member, you can buy FileMaker Cloud and resell it. And with that, you could manage each organization as a different entity with their own server, and then determine the users under that organization. And you can even create groups. So let's say one organization was a little bigger. Let's say they had 40 users, 10 were in marketing, 10 were in development or products, and another 10 were in admin. You could separate those into groups and sort of manage it that way. And you can assign users either as administrators or as users. So it gets, it's it's robust in the way that it's delivered. It's um, it, it's another way of handling authentication. And when I, I say ID, but it really is just like an email address is, to, is traditionally how it all begins. So you create a user, that user gets an email, it establishes their FileMaker ID, and that gives them access into FileMaker Cloud, into their files. But that's only necessary if they're using Cloud 2.0. Is that correct? That is correct. That's only necessary if they're using Cloud 2.0. If they're using uh, FileMaker Cloud for AWS, you can think of it as just traditional server um, in terms of the way it's licensed. In fact, you only get two choices on how to license FileMaker Cloud for AWS, for AWS, and that is bring your own license where you can buy an annual license. It has to be an annual license. can't be a perpetual license. You bring your own annual license of server and you essentially plug that in, or you can buy it by the hour. Uh, and creating sort of an on-demand type thing, which has some appealing uh, and interesting aspects to it, but it tends to be very costly uh, relative to buying it by the year. I mean, on a scale that's uh, wildly different in terms of licensing, if you're going to buy on-demand. In fact, I think there were stories in the early days where some people bought it on-demand because they weren't paying attention to their AWS account, the price got pretty expensive in no time because they kind of didn't realize what they were doing. And uh, they racked up a big bill for the on-demand price, which starts at 99 cents an hour. Yeah, that can mount up very quickly. So with Cloud 1.0 for AWS, you were required to put an encryption key on every file, which is always seemed to me to be 
completely arbitrary and why do you have to have that is that the same for cloud 2.0 or have they given that up no no <laughs> they didn't give that up they've pushed their foot on the gas there's absolutely um, no way around you have to encrypt your files with filemaker cloud just like you did with filemaker cloud for aws if you didn't encrypt them ahead of time there is a nifty feature that it will encrypt it for you or give you the opportunity to put in a pin or a password at the time that you host the file for the first time. It, so that is clever and handy. A traditional FileMaker server cannot do that. But you know that's just making something that some people don't want to do that. Most people, well, it's, it's tough, Michael, because the, the thing is it's super secure to have an encrypted file. It means that if someone got a hold of that file directly, physically touched it, uh, there's nothing they could do to break into it or crack it open essentially nothing they could do to perpetrate it. Um, but the disadvantage is if you should ha happen to forget your encryption password, it's game over and not even FileMaker can help you get out of that. So it's it's risky business because um, what you'll find, what may happen, and again, I don't want to be the, the guy who um, paints any kind of negatives on this, but what we've seen in the past, and I'm sure you guys have too, a developer will develop a solution for a customer the developer sort of holds hostage the password. Developer goes away, never really gave the master password to the customer. Customer sort of helpless. They don't really know what their master password is. Um, in the case of an encryption password, uh, that's it. Uh, they'll never be able to get into their files um, if they don't know that password once the file stops being hosted. It sounds a bit like a poison pill and it, you know, it's it's a it's a very scary prospect because keeping track of passwords for all of us is a nightmare because there are so many rules and restrictions and all of that. And just adding one more into the mix, but that one more that adding to the mix could literally destroy your business. Well, here, here's the concern over uh, physical file access. From what I from what I know and understand, there's still software out there on the internet that you can get that will allow you to rewrite a FileMaker file's password. You can't get the password out, but you can rewrite it. It may corrupt the file, but then they'll have all the data in there. And so if it's on the network, no worries. They can't rewrite the password in that manner. They can't log in as a guest or somehow access. They have to get physical file access. So that's the concern there, why they want to have it encrypted, because it's probably a legal issue for them. They don't want to be responsible if something happened where the, you know, AWS was compromised and somebody got those files. They're not going to be able to get into them because they're encrypted. And that's probably the whole reason why I would guess as to why they require that. Yeah. And when you think about if they're going after customers, when I say they, I'm talking about Claris. If, if they want to seriously entertain customers in a serious manner and grow the platform, those said customers will ask the tough questions. Are you HIPAA compliant? Are you PCI compliant? And although FileMaker may never claim to be on paper, um, encrypting a database is one of the first steps in becoming compliant with those services. It's not the only step. By, by all means, there's a ton of steps to do to, to become compliant in those areas. But it is one of the first and basic steps. So it, if you don't have that, and if you don't mandate it, then they can't say, well, no, we're really not compliant with any of that stuff. Um, and and if, a, if an IT company 
or if an IT person from a major corporation said, do you guys have encryption, mandatory encryption? And FileMaker said, no, I think it would be immediately dismissed as a non-player. Absolutely. Oh yeah, period. No, a lot of things that on their checklist, they'd be immediately dismissed because they didn't have it. Yeah. So um, I think that's why they have to play in those, in those, in those games. However, uh, when you think about it, well, it kind of feels a little bit like um, that mandate is a little strong arming for the platform. Today, you could have an unencrypted file on traditional FileMaker server if you wanted to. And a lot, and believe me, a lot of people do. A lot of people simply don't encrypt their database. They don't want to take the time. I'm talking about customers mostly. Um, and it really depends. If, if they're doing an on-premise server situation and, they're all, and they already have a trusted atmosphere, or procedures that allow trust to get to the files in the first place, then encryption might not be something they need to do. But every customer and every company is going to have to weigh that option differently. I think if Stephen Blackwell was on the phone here, he'd say, absolutely, there's no if ands, or buts. Everyone should have an encrypted file, period, end of story. But I do see what Michael's saying as far as um, it, it is more risky, and it is a one-way door. Once you lose that encryption password, it really is uh, game over. Yeah, it reminds me of a story when I went to a client and I said, where's your server? And they opened up the bathroom and was on a shelf in the actual bathroom. That's opposed to having your server in a locked server room, which is ideally how you prevent physical file access to something, uh, in addition to having security on that actual computer. But having a lock on the door is key. Putting in your bathroom, maybe not the best idea. Yeah. If you'll, if you'll excuse a pun, it's a good way to have a security leak. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Michael. So let me, let me review here. You have four ways right now to host a solution. There's FileMaker Pro. There's FileMaker Server. There's AWS, rather than trying to call it whatever it is. And then there's Cloud 2.0. Can we discuss the advantages and disadvantages of each approach, who would want to use which approach? I mean, the easy one is FileMaker Pro Advanced. That's really, at this point, really only should be used for people who are doing testing. Yep. And a lot of people don't understand, you actually don't need to set up a server to test record locking or to test multi-user because you can actually connect from your machine right back to itself and have two instances of FileMaker. You just go to open remote, well, first you turn on sharing on your FileMaker Pro, and then you go to open remote and you can get a second instance that will show you how record locking works and what happens when somebody's adding one record or another. So you actually can get that without FileMaker Pro, which is a lot of people don't know that. Um, and it's a really great way so you can save yourself time when you're developing going, I wonder if this is going to cause record locking or not. But that's the one way is, is that is it's for testing that that method. But there's three more methods. And then there's kind of varieties inside of each method, like FileMaker server could be on premise or it could be in the cloud. If you could go through, you know, give us a, an, a, an idea what you think the kind of person who would want each of these flavors and what the advantages and disadvantages and, and anything that comes into mind that people should know about these different types of deployments, what they support, what they don't. I think uh, if you just kind of ramble on a little bit and Michael and I can kind of interject a few questions here and there, I think that would be the best way to get people the information they need to know about what do I choose in this confusing world of hosting? Right. Okay. Well, good. 
And we can go over the deal breakers first because they're easier to define, just like you did with you know the, the testing only for FileMaker Pro Advanced. The deal breaker is if it's anything other than testing, you don't want to use that method. So another deal breaker is what if I want to own my own data, keep it on-premise in my own organization? I don't want it to touch the cloud in any way, shape, or form. You're going to need traditional FileMaker server hosted on-premise. That's the only solution you have for that. So that's one of the deal breakers. So if you, if you talk to a company that wants to own their data, they have to use FileMaker, traditional FileMaker server. And as we discussed, you probably want to have it uh, an isolated machine with just FileMaker server running on it. And you have to gear that hardware according to the best practices that are listed in the knowledge base on the FileMaker.com website. You want to make sure you read that stuff about what kind of hard drives, what kind of network cards, and you know everything that you should have. Yep. The technical specs should be adhered to. Um, and then you also have to prepare to, does your IT infrastructure have the capability to uh, install, configure, and maintain FileMaker server? And as good as some of these ID departments are, they simply don't have the expertise and or the time to do that. And we run across a lot of customers in that scenario. We actually have a product where for a thousand bucks, we'll uh, install and configure and create and, and work with those customers to properly install FileMaker server within their infrastructure, uh, along with a health check on the server. So sort of a, a blessing and configuration package that we offer. Because you're right, John, there's a lot of um, people out there that just don't yet have the expertise at the time. And we're not saying FileMaker server is hard to install, but there are some aspects of it because uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it's got to integrate with the operating system and everything else. And there's a lot of stuff to know. Actually installing FileMaker server, you can go through it and get it done in a couple of minutes. It's pretty easy. It's all of the interactions with everything else and the settings and things that really you kind of need an expert to, to help you along with that. Yeah. I've seen companies with expert IT people spend two or three days just trying to figure out their routing in terms of the ports to open and things like that. Uh, maybe that's not a good reflection on that particular IT uh, individual or company, but it, the truth is, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects to when you have a FileMaker server on-prem and you're trying to share it with multiple offices. There's just a lot to consider. And IT people will traditionally want to run their standard practices on a FileMaker server, and it's not necessarily going to work because they want to do virus protection, they want to do active scanning, they want to do their traditional backups, and FileMaker server doesn't really fit into that box the way they may expect it to. So you're right, there's just so much to it. Um, to, to, and a lot of companies don't want to do it anymore. So that's where they host either with us or, you know, with some of the other methods that we're talking about today. Yeah. I think it's funny that, that you talk about this subject matter so much that you just called it prem. Instead yeah. of premise. <laughs> right, right. On prem. Yeah, that's true. That is an inside lingo there. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just had to mention that. I thought it was so cute. Uh, and, yeah. and I know that everybody around you in your office knows what you're talking about, but I'm like, right. did you just say prem? Oh, okay. Yeah, I did. On prem. <laughs> that extra syllable, I know. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're all used to talking in jargon. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a hard thing to get away from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now, if you are wanting to move to the cloud, if you are working with a customer or your organization, you want to move to the cloud, you actually have three choices today. You actually have four. And I'll just go through them very quickly. The first choice is to purchase FileMaker Server. You probably already have a license. And find your own data center to put it on. In other words, procure your own cloud server somewhere. You either 
buy your own AWS server, set it up. You buy something on Microsoft Azure or Google or even your own privatized data center or even Rackspace.com. And you can simply, uh, and I say simply, I, I use that term loosely, you can create a server, get it up and running, put FileMaker server on there, deploy it and go your own way and maintain it yourself and figure out your backups and all that. That's choice number one. That's the way I did it, Mark. I just set up my pizza box in my office and then shipped it off to the, the data center and they, they just plugged it in and it works. So. Yeah. Yeah. And what you did was a co-location, which really means you own the server and you're locating it somewhere else in someone else's data center and you're just paying for the usage of that data center. That's called co-location. Um, you could also not do co-location. You can simply rent a server or a virtual server on any one of those um, places that I just mentioned uh, where you don't own the server, you just own the service and you for as long as you're paying your bill, you'll have your server up and running. And then you just install your FileMaker server on that entity. And what I was going to say, the advantage there is that you don't have to have any wrinkles on your forehead because you're not worrying about stuff, right? It's If you have your own server, you're responsible for it. Well, you know, in many ways, John, you're actually responsible for it almost as much when it's being hosted in the cloud. What you're not responsible for is the infrastructure and hardware failure as much. It's a lot more durable in the cloud in a sense. Um, you don't have to worry about the electricity going out as much, or if, I mean, generally speaking, in any modern data, data center, electrical outage is a non-issue. It's something that simply won't happen. Um, hard drive failure is something that really doesn't happen in a, in a modern data center because there's so much redundancy and the storage is stored in a RAID array rather than an actual physical hard drive that would exist on a particular machine. Um, in, mo in most cases. So yes, those problems go away, but you still have the problem of, is my FileMaker server secure? Do I have my firewall set up correctly? What is my backup scheme? Am I actually doing backups? Am I monitoring those backups? Am I checking that those backups work in a disaster recovery situation? Am I paying the bill? Am I managing and orchestrating the actual account for that data center? Am I logging into the data center, checking things, making sure everything's up and running? So all of those responsibilities are just as much as they would be with an on-prem server. Which brings me beautifully into the next type of hosting, which is you could hire a company like us or many of the other FileMaker hosting companies out there. And we'll take care of not only the data center part of it, but also the FileMaker responsibility, the FileMaker server responsibility, the backups and all of that. Um, in those situations, I, I call it VIP service because all really a customer has to do is say, here are the files. You guys host them for me. And we take the files. They, you know, they upload them to a secure location. We host them for them and we watch them. We monitor it. We maintain it. We communicate with them. We coordinate with them when it's time to upgrade FileMaker Server. Hey, up, you know, FileMaker Server 1803 came out. When would you like to upgrade? You want to do that during business hours, off hours? It's really concierge VIP service when you're dealing with like a hosting company like us. And, and that is a nice option for a lot of people. I can tell you firsthand that in our world, we offer both something called FileMaker uh, Cloud a BYO service where we help people with the FileMaker Cloud for AWS because it was kind of confusing. We have a lot more customers just doing traditional hosting than there are with FileMaker Cloud, at least in our bucket. That's not to say that a lot of people aren't using FileMaker Cloud for AWS. There are. But in our world, it's it's a ratio that's like, um, you know, 100 to 2 or something like that, 50 to 1 
for every one customer doing the BYO AWS that we manage, there's 50 customers that aren't, that are going traditional FileMaker. So I like this the best because you're using traditional FileMaker server and you get to really pick and choose what that server will do in addition to FileMaker. And I know we had talked early on that said, well, we don't really want it to do anything else, but there's a lot of interesting services that a lot of customers like to run. And I, I mentioned it already, but the 360 works MirrorSync. We have uh, several customers working with that particular software. Now we do charge a little bit more to maintain that software on our servers because it's a little bit more responsibility for us. And there's a little bit of setup, but that's something that you cannot do right now with either the FileMaker Cloud for AWS or the new FileMaker Cloud. And that's just the first thing. There's several other things that people like to do on their server, especially in an enterprise environment, that they would never be able to do with these two new offerings from FileMaker. Uh, not that that's a bad thing, but a lot of customers have sophisticated needs. We have other customers who don't store their data in the container fields in the traditional way. They'll upload them to a FileMaker container field, and then there's a routine that moves those files to Amazon's S3, uh, giving them essentially unlimited capacity and more flexibility over how they share those files. So that's another example of something that's not necessarily easy to do or even appropriate to do with FileMaker Cloud for AWS or the other one. Other things like specific um, backup regimes. Some customers like to backup just their FileMaker files every day and then their container data only once a week. You can't do that kind of thing with the other services. Uh, what else? There's all kinds of services that run plugins. I know we'll be talking about plugins here in a minute, but uh, you get your pick of the draw with that. You get um, just so many, so much flexibility. If you want to incorporate a web server with your FileMaker server, although we don't encourage it and we don't really do that for our customers, there are a lot of customers that can, you know, host FileMaker server with a web server combined and have them talking on the same machine. So, FileMaker server, it's traditional, it's been around the longest, and it really does, in my opinion, provide the absolute most flexibility for any customer going forward, which is probably why Clara still supports it, still invests in it, and still realizes that it's probably the largest and will remain the largest for the foreseeable future as far as an offering goes. Now, so you're saying that uh, the cloud, the offering from FileMaker doesn't support plugins or web publishing? No, no. I think that we should really be specific. It probably would be good to take five or 10 minutes to go down the entire list of um, differences between, uh, let's say, a FileMaker Cloud and FileMaker Traditional Server. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. Good, good. And maybe you were uh, hoping I would do that. And I've got, um, in fact, FileMaker makes some interesting, they've got, Claris makes some interesting comparison charts uh, that are available within their website. And there's two that I'm looking at right here. One is called FileMaker Cloud for AWS versus FileMaker Cloud. That one's a little harder to find. Um, I don't know if you guys have show notes in your podcast, but maybe you could put links to these within the show notes. And then there's another comparison document called FileMaker Server versus FileMaker Cloud. And both of those I'll, I'll be looking at here. So I think what we'll start with is the one, um, the one that I said last, FileMaker Server versus FileMaker Cloud. And we'll just run through this list. There's about 20 or so things that we'll talk about, and I'll try to rip through them quickly. And we'll just compare the two, FileMaker Server versus Cloud. So for hosting, um, and this, this document assumes that it's FileMaker Cloud 
versus FileMaker server, server being on-premises. So that's the context of this. So we take, talk about FileMaker server, you host your custom apps on-premise, so you become independent in that way, versus FileMaker Cloud, they will be hosted uh, within the AWS infrastructure. Okay, so that's we kind of already know that we talked about that. Deployment. So when it comes to deploying FileMaker Server, it's going to require time to set up the hardware, to install the operating system, install and configure FileMaker Server software. So again, that burden lies in the hands of the person setting this up. Versus, let's say, FileMaker Cloud, there is no server software or hardware needed. You deploy the custom apps in just a few minutes. That's the one-stop shopping we we're talking about, right? You go and buy the licensing, the, the everything just in one shot and you pay one bill. Yep, that's correct. Yep, and your server is just up and running. It really does uh, does not require any kind of IT expertise with FileMaker Cloud. Probably the biggest advantage of FileMaker Cloud, uh, bar none. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how much the cost of this is for the situation that Michael brought up, which is the small comic book store that he's working with only wants to share with two people. How much those costs might be? Well, we can get to that at the. I think actually that's the next point. I'm. I might have. I didn't look far enough ahead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, we'll go get to that after we go through some of these little uh, nitty-gritty details. So licensing, when it comes to FileMaker Server on-premises or one that you host on your own, um, you're going to be responsible for the licensing. You do get a choice of using annual licensing or perpetual licensing. Perpetual means you pay one price and you own it for life. You can maintain it with a maintenance contract, but Perpetual does mean you pay one price and you own it for you own that version for life. Versus FileMaker Cloud, which is a subscription model. It's very easy to understand because it's $39 per user per month. However, it is billed annually. So you you have to pay a whole year, uh, and it is $39 per user per month. And the other advantage, which is kind of neat, and I, they, I don't think they were offering this with FileMaker Cloud for AWS, that includes 24-7 um, tech support in English with a dedicated customer service agent, which is something a lot of software companies will never claim these days. So that is, that is a bold claim and one that is very interesting. It really does put you at mind to know that if there is something wrong, that you have that 24-7 service in English. Uh, that's sold directly through Claris. There is one consolidated bill and one point of contact for sales and one for support, and you purchase in your local currency. So that's interesting. Hardware costs. Obviously, if you're going to be using an on-premises server, you'll need to buy the hardware. There's no hardware cost when it comes to FileMaker Cloud. It's all part of the one price. Right. I think it's interesting that they say hardware costs are server class. I think it depends on how many users you have because I have plenty of people running off of Mac minis these days. And that's not server yeah. class, so. Right, right, and you know, small deployments you can you can get away with, um, you know, quote unquote non-server class hardware. Um, it's probably you know, in the best of all worlds, we'd love to all have a twenty thousand dollars server to host our FileMaker server, but there's a practicality aspect to everything, and you weigh that. But if you're a large corporation like Apple and Claris, you're going to put what needs to be the best practice in every scenario which is probably prudent. Um, so we have IT impact requires some form. So it does require you to know some IT, if, you know, for administrative tasks and things like that. Like I had mentioned there quite a bit already. 
as far as FileMaker Cloud goes, there'll be minimum impact to the existing technical staff. You don't even need to be in IT to buy FileMaker Cloud. You really don't. I mean, uh, I've seen the process. In fact, there is a um, over an hour video talking about this whole process because it was a DevCon session. And uh, um, FileMaker Claris walks you through that whole process and really does show you every screen that you'd see. So um, again, maybe a link for the show notes. So the admin console, uh, right now, this is kind of a small trivia point and one that I don't really dwell on, but it is interesting nonetheless. FileMaker Server comes in six languages for the admin console itself. That would be English, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and Spanish. Uh, FileMaker Cloud comes in six languages for the admin console, English, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and Spanish. Um, again, I don't dwell on that too much. I didn't really realize that until I kind of read through this documentation. Uh, centralized management, none versus FileMaker Cloud. Uh, manage all team accounts, groups, and subscriptions in one location with FileMaker customer console. So that's this new thing you guys have to kind of get in your brains. It's called FileMaker customer console. And that's the web page within the Claris infrastructure for FileMaker Cloud. And that's where you're going to put in your users, your groups, and whether they're an administrator or a user and you know your account details. So that's called, it's probably gonna be nicknamed the FCC, FileMaker Customer Console. Is that where the FileMaker ID comes into play there? Yes, that's exactly where it comes in. That's where you'll be managing those users and, and their identification. Now, how would that be different than managing everybody using external th authentication, which is available with FileMaker Server on-premise? Um, well, it's a form of that. In a sense, it is external authentication. It's just the one that you control directly without having to need to pr procure external authentication. Right, which require another server and software and things like that, yeah. Yeah, or another entity. Like, yeah, you'd have to establish like an Amazon account and create users and groups there and then authenticate against that or Google or, or Azure, any of the big three, uh, when you talk about external authentication. In fact, we have a whole course in our university talking just about external authentication for those who are uh, wondering what it is and how to get involved and get in, get going with that. Um, now backups. So backups, that's, you know, you're going to handle the nitty gritty details when it comes to the on-premise FileMaker server. When it comes to cloud, the data is backed up automatically every 20 minutes and then, you know, greater flexibility in restoring your backups. So that's sort of um, how it works with the Amazon for AWS too. I mean, the FileMaker cloud for AWS, it's also in 20 minute increments. I think the distinction here with FileMaker Cloud is that you can actually pluck uh, from a list of files. You want this file from this date and time, and you'll be able to uh, restore that. How far back it goes, I don't know. I think it, traditionally it's been one week that it goes back to be able to pluck those, but they are incrementally backed up every 20 minutes, and you can restore to any time frame, which is, you know, flexible, interesting, good. Um, then again, a lot of people don't need that sort of granularity, but it is something that the service comes with. So now scalability. In order to scale an on-premise server, you'd have to you know, load it with more RAM or add bigger hard drives or buy a new server to get a better CPU. With FileMaker Cloud or FileMaker um, Cloud for AWS, you can quickly scale up and it's fast paced. You know, if you're growing, you can scale up pretty easily. You essentially just pick a different server size and restart it and it's going to restart with that new server size so in that respect 
that's sort of the modern way of doing things when you think about how to purchase, you know, uh, IT infrastructure that is extremely flexible and um, pretty cool. Yeah, that can be very important for, you know, medium to large size companies who need to scale up how many users they have, how many people are accessing things like that, and, and to have to go and reconfigure in another server again may be more than they want to do. Yep, yep. Um, with our hosting service, we also, because we use AWS, it's just as easy for us to just stop the server, right-click, change the server size, start the server, and literally within three minutes, you could double the size and scale of the server with you know literally five minutes of downtime, if that. So it's 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 impressive to see this stuff in action when it actually happens, um, seeing it firsthand. Um, security. Oh wait, let's talk about capabilities here, guys. This is one we really need to pay attention to. With FileMaker Server, traditional FileMaker Server, it's been tested for file 500 FileMaker Pro advanced clients, Go and WebDirect. So 500 is the tested amount. You can actually get more than that, up to 2,000 FileMaker Pro Advanced if you're talking about traditional FileMaker Server. With FileMaker Cloud, it has been tested for half that much, uh, 250 advanced clients, and then 100 Go, 100 WebDirect, or 100 FileMaker Data API clients. So I think that really only impacts you if you've got a lot of users north of 100, let's say, uh, and you're starting to push those numbers um, you're going to have some limitations with FileMaker Cloud in its current state, even with that scalability that we talked about. It just seems strange that that limitation is so dramatic. It's half of what FileMaker Server is, and it's just hard for me to understand why that would be so. I have the same question, and I don't know what it has to do with, and I wouldn't even want to start a rumor as to what, but it could simply be. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to, I want to start a rumor because I, I want to talk about it. <laughs> I want to talk about it, but I don't actually have facts on it. I, you know, could be, maybe it's the operating system, uh, the Linux versus Windows. I doubt, doubtful it's that. I don't see why it would be anything with the RAM or the hard drive because AWS offers you, you know, you can do 196 processors at one time with gobs and gobs of RAM. So, I don't. I like you, Michael. I see. There's absolutely no limitation to what AWS can give you in terms of capability. So it seems very peculiar why there would be a limit at all in some of these situations. But perhaps it has to do more with what's tested, what's prudent. Maybe they're walking before they run. Maybe they don't want to overpromise. It could be any of those things. Yeah, and you you're probably right with that, Mark. But it just it just seems that they should clarify why there's such a difference rather than just letting people make their own conclusions. If they said, we've tested it so far at this, we expect it'll be more, but we know right now that this is where it is. Stay tuned. It would just give people a more of a, a feeling that right. there's not something right. odd with it. Yeah, it would it would it wouldn't give you the feeling that there's all some sort of built-in limitation. You know, when you think about this is new and exciting, you don't tend to think of that as being less capable than what you already have today, which is not new and exciting. And I th I think that's the point you're trying to make there. From even from a marketing standpoint, it's sort of a it's a salient point to bring home. Um, when it comes to security, 
they both support AES-256, which is, you know, enterprise level security with SSL. Uh, there's an additional option that you do have with FileMaker Cloud, and that's multi-factor authentication. Um, for some, that might be the first time you hear that term. For others, you've heard the term and you know what it is. It basically means a second set of criteria before you log in, something that is known to you. So in the case of a multi-factor authentication with AWS, I would put in my username and password, click OK, and then I'd be prompted for a code and that code could exist on either my iOS device on a code generation system like Google Authenticate or any other means, or it might text me to my phone. In other words, something that is different than just a username and password. And of course, multi-factor authentication nowadays is industry standard and highly encouraged. It really does uh, mitigate someone's ability if they get your username and password, either through breach or through accident. Um, it, they're going to have a dickens of a time getting in because that second type of code is going to go to a completely different ecosystem in terms of how you're going to get that code. It probably will go to something very personal like your phone or something that you're carrying like a key fob. So multi-factor authentication. Now, when it comes to certificates, and these are the SSL certificates that are both the uh, loved and hated by all, um, <laughs> in fact, we have a whole course on just installing SSL certificates because it's not necessarily a, a, a click and, and you're off to the races. But um, you could use your own custom SSL certificate with an on-premises FileMaker server or even one that's hosted in the cloud. With FileMaker Cloud, um, you get an SSL built in. You don't have to buy one. You don't have to maintain it, manage it, or even worry about it expiring. It's all taken care of for you through the service, which is also very nice. And trust me, that's been the bane of people's existence, installing their SSL certificates. Not a day goes by that you don't see somebody on the forum saying, I'm having so much trouble getting this certificate installed. And if they can take care of it for you with Cloud 2.0, wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. And and since I created the course for installing SSL certificates, I could tell you firsthand that I would not want to be doing it for the first time without a course or without some sort of guidance because um, as much as they outline it in the help, that really doesn't necessarily get you over the finish line. Um, I mean, some people have managed, but it's it's a lot easier if you have guidance on that. So what do we get next? So we have uh, authentication we talked about a little bit. But with the FileMaker traditional server, it supports external authentication with Active Directory. And that's a biggie. We, you know, you guys, there are so many people using Active Directory for their authentication these days. That really is awesome. We use it here at Productive Computing, but so many customers do as well. And that allows IT to manage and maintain users and, and passwords. And that's important to a lot of enterprises, um, as well as Open Directory on the Mac side. So that's something that is unique and special to FileMaker Server, traditional FileMaker Server. You don't get that with FileMaker Cloud. You use FileMaker ID as the new way of doing that. So I would suspect, and just to kind of put a little um, thorn in the side of, of this situation, is I would suspect that there are some people in the IT ecosystem, when looking at FileMaker ID, they might have to learn more about it. They might not be necessarily comfortable with deployment in that way because it doesn't necessarily talk directly to their infrastructure um, when it comes to authentication. 
because it is FileMaker ID versus something that they've owned for years called Active Directory. So I think that could be uh, an interesting thing to discuss, maybe in a whole other podcast. Um, so when it comes to REST APIs, FileMaker Data API and FileMaker Admin API, uh, as well as Tableau Desktop, are supported on both FileMaker Cloud as well as FileMaker Server. The only difference in that area is Tableau Server. There's a connector for Tableau Server, which only exists on FileMaker Cloud. So that's um, an interesting thing. And if you want to learn more about Tableau Server, there's plenty of information online. But it's, um, it's basically the way to share Tableau data to other users. Um, there's this new thing, and I don't really want to talk too much about it because I don't know much about it, but it's called OData. And this is a new, essentially a new and improved data communication method, which is going to be supported through FileMaker's data API on FileMaker Cloud. And you can think of this as the modern way to talk ODBC and JDBC. I think OData is that new method. Uh, so that is introduced with FileMaker Cloud. Um, there is documentation in the help file already for it. I haven't personally used it, so I can't speak with any kind of expertise as to uh, the pros and cons, disadvantages and advantages. But I do know it's it's a. I have looked at it a little bit, and it is a, the more modern way of handling ODBC-like connections called OData. Correct, and hard to say if there's ever plans to do so. I would suspect it's sort of a cloudish type, you know, cloud-based type tech. Um, it probably bypasses some of the requirements for traditional ODBC drivers, which are always, again, another more bane of people's existence is worrying about ODBC drivers and what's compatible and what isn't. I think OData is more of an ODBC standard that doesn't necessarily, is not contingent upon a particular driver. If, if your mechanism talks OData, then it talks OData, kind of like how PHP and some of the other technologies work. Um, speaking of ODBC and JDBC, um, it is supported as it always has been on FileMaker Server. Uh, you do need to install drivers. Uh, when it comes to ODBC on FileMaker Cloud, it's only supported by way of import. In other words, you won't be able to write data via ODBC in that scenario with FileMaker Cloud. So there's some limitation there. And again, this could be because some of that is planned to be mitigated using OData rather than ODBC. So there could be a, a rhyme in the reason why it only supports what it does. And completely not supported by regular FileMaker server. Yeah, it might be perceived that way because the word only is used. So if you're going to use the word only, it would be nice maybe to have an asterisk that says future modifications are planned or this will mitigate something else. You know what I mean? I, I totally get it. A footnote, a simple footnote would have your mind at ease when it comes to the word only. But it, again, it comes back down to this appears to be on surface a limitation that if they explained a little bit more about what they were planning on doing, it wouldn't be seen as such a limitation because it is a limitation as we see it right now. I think it comes down to the old Osborne computer uh, story. Uh, it just happens to have the same name as me, but no relation. But the Osborne computer was really big. I forget back, in, I think it was back in the 80s, if I remember correctly. And he was selling these things like hotcakes, right? And then he announced that he was going to have the newest thing coming out in six months. It was going to be half the cost and twice as fast. He went out of business at that point because nobody bought the old Looks stuff. Like so, so what it comes down to is really is what it comes down to is that you don't want to pre-announce too much because then 
what happens is people go, well, I don't want this. I'm going to wait till, you know, the cake with frosting comes out. I don't want just cake. I want frosting on my cake. Well, I, I have a very funny story to tell you. So what was his what was his first name, John? Oh, I don't. I just remember it's Osborne Computers. It's spelled exactly the same as mine. Well, I actually met him. I was playing poker in Lake Tahoe and was talking across the table to this guy who sounded very English, and we got talking, and that was Osborne. And we ended up going out and having dinner after the game. So um, this is a long time ago, but uh, he was a very interesting guy. He was part of the Doubleday publishing family, so he was enormously wealthy in his own right. Oh, absolutely a, a genius, um, but was the guy who had to learn the hard way that you don't pre-announce stuff no matter how well you're doing. And I think that's what it comes back to, this ODBC thing. They don't want to say they're going to do something because things don't always turn out the way you want to. You may want to do something, but it may, you know, some other technology may come along or maybe there's some limitation. They can't do it. They thought they could. I think that's part of why they don't give an explanation is why they don't support this stuff. And that culture, John, I think is inherited mostly from Apple. I would think so. They're wholly owned, so it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I and of all the companies that you think of in the tech world, I think Apple holds their new tech closest to the vest more than anyone, or so it seems. Well, sure. They've been stolen so many times from them. You can't even count it on one hand or two hands. Even, yeah. So. yeah. But that's a whole yeah, other sure podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when it comes to uh, external SQL sources, uh, that is supported on FileMaker Server, traditional. Um, and it is also supported on FileMaker Cloud, except this thing called the ESS adapter, which is a third-party ODBC adapter from actual technologies. And that allows you more connectivity to other technologies and other uh, database systems. So that isn't supported on FileMaker Cloud. That's a subtlety there. Not much difference. They both support external SQL sources. Uh, when it comes to automation, there's uh, the ability to schedule server-side scripts as needed. When it comes to FileMaker Cloud, that is going to be limited uh, in terms of scheduling scripts. Um, but you can schedule them uh, or do things with the FileMaker data API and, and roll your own regimes that way. So there are some interesting options to get around that, but it probably doesn't work exactly the way it works with FileMaker server in a traditional sense. When it comes to storage, storage amount uh, depends on your organization's hardware installation. So when it comes to a traditional FileMaker, you have to procure your own storage and figure that out. When it comes to FileMaker Cloud, storage for the operating system is separated and allocated in its own subscription. So with a five user, you're going to get 30 gigs of storage per year, and that includes the actual databases as well as their backups. That's a complete picture from what I've read. Um, in other words, each user gets six gigabytes of storage per year allocated to them with each user that you add, and you can add in increments of one after you buy the first five. So you could go to six users if you want. Uh, you get an extra six gig per year uh, allocation. You can always buy more if you need to. That's what I'm saying. It's probably really easy to buy more. You just click a button and then all of a sudden you have more, right? That's correct. Yeah, this is just an initial allocation that comes with the package and then you can buy up. Plugins are supported with traditional FileMaker server. They are not, and I repeat, not supported on FileMaker Cloud in any capacity whatsoever. This is a big um, one. Yeah, it is a big one. It is a big one because a lot of people rely on plugins for um, credit card processing, server-side routines, file management, uh, uploading to um, FTP sites. Um, some people actually have plugins that work with PDF creation and all kinds of things. 
uh, us included with Exchange and things like that. So that isn't going to run on FileMaker Cloud. Reasons, not sure. I would say um, probably one more thing they'd have to test for and mitigate around. I do know that when you're working with third-party manufacturers, like even us included, it's an unknown third-party vendor, you know, and if they're going to build infrastructure that's locked and automated, it's very difficult to install and maintain plugins from third-party vendors when you're trying to build an automated and locked system such as FileMaker Cloud. That's probably the main reason they don't support it. Now, do you do you think that Claris is trying to eliminate the use of plugins? I don't know the answer to that, but I would suspect they are not interested in that. I believe they know full and well just how many people use plugins. And I would say that uh, if you polled all the users of a FileMaker system, I would say that more than 50% has some form of a plugin in use within that ecosystem. Maybe not necessarily on server, but definitely in use in that ecosystem. And, and I know for a fact, we, we have thousands of users using our plugins uh, worldwide. So it would be a major deal if they pulled plugin support in general. They might pull it off the server. Um, and that's going to be interesting. That's going to be a deal breaker for a lot of people who require plugins. Doesn't FileMaker Cloud 2.0 work run on Linux? Yes. So isn't it a compatibility issue with the plugins? Well, FileMaker for AWS also runs on Linux, and it can also support plugins. Ah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, two different things. Um, yeah, so it's not a Linux issue. Although manufacturers like us have to work harder to build a Linux-based plugin, one that works on Linux. Yes, that's true. But with FileMaker Cloud, we won't need to because <laughs> it won't work anyway. At least not now, and I don't know if there's plans for it in the future. Maybe there's plans to do something else that lets us do something unique around that area. Uh, maybe they're leaning on Claris Connect to be the solution for plugins and credit card processing and things like that. Maybe that's where they're focusing right now, the future, and figuring out ways around some of the old paradigms. <clears throat> now, when it comes to custom web publishing with PHP and XML, that is still supported on traditional FileMaker. And again, another big deal breaker. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of customers right now with PHP integrated within their FileMaker system, and they'd be lost without it. So uh, PHP is not supported in either FileMaker Cloud for AWS or uh, FileMaker um, Cloud 2.0. Again, another big deal breaker. Not so much XML. I don't know of any customers right now using XML on our end. Uh, lots and lots using PHP. And more and more every day using FileMaker Data API. They realize that's the way forward. PHP hasn't been officially deprecated. So it's not, uh, it's not something we're not aware of. And we realize that it is going away. Uh, but it is something that you know takes time to unweave. So that concludes the comparison. I know there's a lot of nitty gritty on that. Um, and you, know, you could go on and compare this with FileMaker... Uh, cloud for AWS, but I, I don't think we need to focus too much on FileMaker Cloud for AWS since it's going away anyway. Uh, we'll just kind of focus on what we just did there. Now, you had some additional questions um, surrounding some of the licensing or? I mean, at first glance, FileMaker Cloud is prohibitively expensive. And so if you're subscribing to FileMaker Cloud, it's $39 per month per user, which is $24 of that is for the hosting and $15 of that is for the FileMaker license. Now, it's hard to understand how they can 
justify that charge because there is no limit. If you had 100 users, you'd be paying $2,400 a month or $28,800 a year just for the hosting, which would put it out of the uh, ballpark for, I'd say, 99% of companies that are going to need hosted solutions. Am I right or am I wrong, Mark? A little of both. Uh, You're right in terms of its scale. When it comes to um, more users, that adds up fast because it is 39 a user. When when you take a five-user account and you – let's compare traditional FileMaker hosting with FileMaker Cloud in that same scenario. Let's take five users. If in order to host with a company like us for a five-user system, we would ask that they purchase their own copy of FileMaker server, which they would. They would buy that and it would cost them 900 a year. On top of that, they would also need to buy the hosting services from us, which includes the server, the infrastructure, the VIP, and all of that. That starts for us at 110 a month if they buy it by the year. So uh, let's just think of that in a month. Well, let's think of that as a yearly basis. So that's 110 times 12. That would be $1,320 for hosting plus uh, plus 900. So $1,320 plus 900 is 2,220. That's what it would cost somebody to do hosting with us. Uh, Compare that to FileMaker Cloud for five users. And that would be, we have here, that would be 23,400. Correct. So it's actually a little less money uh, going with, let's say our company using regular bring your own hosting, uh, bring your own licensing. Um, And then you get all the advantages of using traditional FileMaker server, including um, some of the things that we talked about, such as support for PHP, all the third-party products, the plugins, all of that. So yeah, right there, that scenario, taken for what it is on paper, would be less money going with a regular hosting company and bringing your own license and doing it that way. But it would require, if you're brand new to FileMaker, it would require you finding a hosting company and getting a relationship there and figuring that out, buying FileMaker server separately on a separate transaction, possibly on a separate credit card, although we do sell licensing too, and we help people through that. Um, but it's not something you could do at midnight on a Saturday night. And if you want to get started right now today with FileMaker Cloud, you can do that whole transaction, and 10 minutes later, you'll have a server up and running, ready to go. And so those are some distinct advantages and disadvantages. I, I think this does appeal to people who haven't gone through the experience we have where, you know, we buy the licensing. We, we already know the hosting company. This is the environment and ecosystem we're comfortable with. If you're brand new to FileMaker, you might very well be attracted to go to the FileMaker website and click a few buttons, add a credit card, and you're done. There's, there's a big appeal for that. And in that way, I'm kind of excited because that, that is a platform growth element. Um, which we don't necessarily have today or prior to that. It was, it was the whole story of, okay, you got to buy your server and then you got to figure out where you're going to host it. Yes, we have FileMaker Cloud for AWS, but you know, 10 minutes into that, you realize, oh, that's kind of difficult. I don't really want to start an AWS account. Oh, well, I don't know a hosting company. I got to go find one. Then I got to make some calls. Oh, they don't answer the phone on the weekends, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden you're a week into this and you still don't have a file hosted. So again, that, that you have to take the good with the bad, but when it all boils down to it, yeah, you're going to save a lot of money 
uh, especially when you start going more than five users. So I, I do think that convenience is not underrated. You know, it's, 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 it's with anything in life. If it's easy to get, is it worth the extra money? Probably so. I mean, I'm just trying to summarize what you said. It's, it's, it's about clicking a button and getting your server up and running quickly, especially for small companies you know, who are five users, it might be really beneficial to be able to set that up. And I think that's probably what this is aiming at. Do you think that's right? Like, you know, if you've got a hundred plus users, you're probably going to have your own server, not cloud. And if you're, but if you're under a hundred users, somewhere over that market demarcation is maybe 10 or less, uh, you're probably going to go with, with cloud. It's just offering a different option out there. I think it's offering an option that's contemporary in the marketplace. You think about any modern software company, Salesforce, Adobe, any of the products that you buy today, any SaaS solution that's web-based is going to be purchased with a credit card at midnight on a Saturday, and you're up and running with your system within 10 minutes and a few emails. It's That is the way of the world. That is the future. And that's what today's modern consumer expects. And if you don't deliver on that promise, you're going to start having people look the other way and say, what am I dealing with here? This is a company that hasn't got it yet. And I think that this whole strategy might really be playing into that that tune because uh, without that, you may in fact be losing customers. You may in fact be uh, proving you are becoming irrelevant. And that is a very dangerous thing in the software world. Yeah, I was not a big fan of AWS when it, when it came out, the original Cloud 1.0. I saw a demo of it and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even understand all these pop-up menus and all these choices. How is anybody going to understand this? And now the cloud 2.0 comes out and I'm completely on the other side of the spectrum. I, I, I find myself loving it the more I hear about it. There's a few little things I don't like, you know, like the plugins and the, the web support, but all in all, it's a pretty cool little, uh, you know, option to have in, in the mix of things. Yep. It's easy to buy. And for new customers, it's going to feel right at home. It's going gonna, it's gonna to compete with other modern technologies, like I said, like Salesforce or Adobe or anything that you can buy with a credit card and a button. This gives FileMaker their credit card and a button paradigm. And um, that's good for us as developers, I think, because if we, if we can encourage new customers to adopt the platform, realize that it isn't just a server client model, that it is a server client model in many respects, but that gives it distinct advantages over an all cloud-based model. Um, and it's just as easy to purchase as a cloud-based model. That's great. I mean, that helps everybody. And uh, that's what keeps the relevancy going. So then you add on top of that Claris Connect, and that becomes the really the one-two punch. You know, I've got my server set up, now I've got my Claris Connect and everything's talking and jiving while still being super easy to program. And I've got this great thing called FileMaker Advanced, which is this really robust, rich client that can do just about anything. And so much of it comes built in, including PDF creation and all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, it becomes unique again in the marketplace, relevant and uh, important. You know, I think this is the whole philosophy behind Apple and behind FileMaker is that you want to make it as easy as possible to do. I mean, that's what FileMaker was originally, a database for the rest of us. And it's built up over the years and become a complex system. You know, you can do, it has a lot of depth, but it's still got a certain amount of ease of use. And and I think that's where this, this server has evolved to. It's Now it's really 
in the hands of anybody who can use a web browser. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that I think that movement in a direction and a movement in this direction is better than uh, no movement. Uh, so th- I'm encouraged to see the technical, you know, the advances on the tech side. Because um, without these advances, it really will be, I mean, you know, you hear talk of people saying, FileMaker, isn't that a client server model? Aren't we all on the web now? I don't want to have to deploy a client, you know, uh, it's, I got to have something that's all web-based. Why? Because everything they all, everything else they have is web-based. Um, even the almighty QuickBooks, which just still runs on the desktop, you know, more and more people are moving to QuickBooks online all the time because the deployment model is just so important to people these days. You got to have easy deployment. You don't want to be installing software and man- managing it, maintaining it uh, with your own two hands. You want someone else to do that. I think it's just what we've evolved to as a society. And everything is so much more mobile than it was. People aren't using desktops and laptops as much as they used to. They're using mobile devices. And that means web browsers and lightweight clients. So, yeah, I, I, I like the direction it's going. As far as what it's priced at, uh, like you said, John, you know, convenience comes at a cost. Power and capability comes at a cost. And, um, you know, those things aren't free. And, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's all relative. It's all relative to what we're what we consume today and what we see as a cost today um, in three years from now, it won't, we won't be comparing it in the same way because Absolutely. It, it's just the way it works. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, kind of reverse back to something we we're talking about. And one of the things I I've felt like is worth mentioning is the whole difference on with, with owning your own copy of FileMaker server and hosting yourself because there's the modern FileMaker server. But right now for me, I'm hosting on, I believe, a FileMaker 14 server and connecting with FileMaker 16. These are my databases that I run my websites off, Database Pros, Philosophy of FileMaker, and I have a cooking website called Philosophy of Cooking. And I chose that deployment because it allows me to keep the cost down because there was a change with FileMaker 15, right about the same time as when Cloud 1.0 came out, where they said you can't have multiple companies, and you can correct me on my verbiage here, uh, multiple companies on the same server. You can't rent people the same server. They have to be on separate servers. So at, at 15, it changed. And, and basically, just to make it easy and summarize, it, was, it about tripled the cost of you know having somebody host your solution for you. So I I've stuck in a in I and I think people still can stuck stick with the the FileMaker Server 14 model for a little bit, and it's an option that you might want to consider because it's so much less expensive than going with FileMaker 18 as far as hosting. So I wanted to hear your thoughts about that and how long you guys continue to support it and any, anything you want to say about it, Mark. Sure. So we have servers as old as FileMaker 11 still within our ecosystem and infrastructure. And customers who are on those servers, um, there's always a special case for each one. And, and we don't generally, we just because they host with us doesn't mean we control the development rights to a particular system. So the developers that work on those systems tell us that, oh, this is a nonprofit. They really can't afford to update. They love the way it works today. So how long can we have FileMaker Server 11 running? This is some of the conversations that come up. Now, it doesn't come up that often, but it does come up. So right now, we have servers 11 through 18 running within our server hosting environment. For 14 or lower, 
it's shared hosting and you know the prices are affordable you basically $30 a database or $50 and you get five uh, filemaker files that you can host just like you said it's it's really affordable because we include the server license with that in other words we buy the server and you know eat that cost in a sense and then um share that server burden against all the customers that might be on that server. That's why they call it shared hosting. And for the longest time, this worked well. When FileMaker 15 came out, they changed the um, the, the EULA, the software agreement, that said, just like you said, if you are going to have individual companies on a single server, they actually need to be on their own server. In other words, uh, company A needs to be on a server, company B needs to be on a separate server. There's only one exception to that rule, if you are an SBA member, that's Solution Bundle Agreement, if you're an SBA member with FileMaker or with Claris, you can, in fact, have a single vertical market solution across multiple customers on a single server, in a sense, shared hosting. Uh, the only other rule is none of those customers can have uh, full admin rights to the files within that server for security purposes. So that is the one small exception to the rule, but you have to be an SBA member. You have to have a vertical market. But in that situation, because as you can imagine, John, there are several people building vertical market solutions using FileMaker as the platform. Or, so uh, it would be detrimental to their business if they forced every one of those customers into having their own server. It would literally put them out of business, most likely. It would really, the software costs would go up so much, or the server costs would go up so much, it, you couldn't have a model that works it's sustainable. Um, so with 15 or north of 15, uh, 15 through uh, 18 at this point, you can do dedicated hosting. And that is a dedicated either actual server or a virtual server. And um, the files that you have on there are with your own company. So it's server to call your own in a sense, and that's dedicated hosting. And uh, right now, the majority of our customers do dedicated hosting, and all our dedicated hosting, for the most part, is AWS. There's a few holdouts uh, on the Mac side of things, but for the most part, most of our customers use AWS, and everything going forward here at Productive will be AWS because it provides uh, better infrastructure and more flexibility in terms of scalability and durability reliability. There's just so many distinct advantages using AWS, even though it is a Windows platform and um, you know Mac has been nice and solid and running great for years. You can't beat the infrastructure of AWS these days when it comes to hosting. Now, as far as I know, uh, with if you've got a FileMaker 14 server and want to go with the shared hosting, the newest version of FileMaker you can use is 16. 17 and 18 will not work with FileMaker 14 server. That is 100% correct. 14 only goes as high as 16. And um, 16, I believe, is going to be not supported as of uh, September 2020. So we've got less than a year, and that will no longer be supported. Now, when we say supported, that's just, um, you know, I don't know if generally people need support on those programs, but that that is a, those are threatening words that basically say FileMaker leaves you out to dry. But you worked in tech support, so you know what that means more than I do <laughs> in terms of support. Well, that means a lot more than that. That means tech support. That means knowledge base. That means uh, any kind of updaters, uh, any kind of support um, at all. I think it involves a lot of things, but it's not like they just rip them out of your hands. I think they just kind of slowly go away at that point, but I, I'm not them. And I understand why they do it. 
but it's I think it's an interesting option out there for for people who may not have as much money to spend. There's still that option out there. And FileMaker uh, and now Claris used to downgrade one version if you wanted to. If you had a compatibility issue, you could buy FileMaker 18 and go down to 17. But that would only work for this scenario when FileMaker 17 was out because then they could downgrade you to 16. But it's not really an option anymore. But I thought it was kind of interesting. FileMaker kind of worked with people on that and helped them out. But, you know, if you want to take that option, uh, Mark still has uh, FileMaker uh, you know, 14 servers running. And if you have copies of FileMaker 16 or can get them on eBay or wherever you get them, you know, for guesting onto it, then you should be good to go that way. Just don't expect it to last forever because eventually those servers will die and they, they won't run, you know, FileMaker Server 14 on a, one of the new operating systems. So Right. And that, you're right. Eventually it will. Uh, just two weeks ago, though, we managed to get FileMaker 11 installed on a modern AWS server. Um, we had to pull a few strings and do a few jigs, but we got FileMaker Server 11 running on within AWS. So it was it was good too because those FileMaker 11 servers, uh, they're not as new as they were when we bought them. Obviously, so we want to give people a, a way forward, and so we found a way forward at least for that. But you know, even things like we have Dropbox integration with some of our servers on the shared side, and Dropbox dropped 32-bit capability. So what that means is those old Macintosh operating systems, Dropbox says, that's it. The game is over. We actually had to switch to a company called Sync in order to um, to get over that hurdle of people having a cloud-based backup that they could have their hands on. So it won't be just FileMaker. It won't be AWS. You know, there's any number of reasons why an old server is eventually going to be uh, withered away and no longer compatible going forward. But for now, we're still compatible going forward. So we have these different types of hosting, and I think we've kind of said what type of person would want these things based on the advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, if you have a plugin or you need to have a website that gets FileMaker data, Cloud 2.0 isn't going to work for you. Um, and you might want to go with, you know, a traditional server, or some hosting through you guys or whoever's out there. You might want to use that. Um, can you kind of go through, and this is kind of hard to say. I don't, I don't know if you can even answer this question, but who best fits the different types of hosting we've gone over? What what would you say those people would be defined as? Big, small businesses, uh, individuals? I, I don't know. I'm curious if there is any answer to that. I think people new to FileMaker and on the smaller side would be good candidates for FileMaker Cloud, the new version. Um, new to FileMaker, meaning they're, they're not carrying a lot of baggage and infrastructure that they need to continue to support. They most likely have a brand new solution. They can choose what plugin or no plugins, and they can find workarounds from day one. So I think new customers on the smallish side, and the only reason I say smallish side is because we already know that there are some uh, limitations as far as total number of users on FileMaker Cloud. Although, John, you and I will both agree that when you talk about a customer with up to 100 users, we're talking about sort of an exception and more of a large customer that doesn't necessarily happen that often. Seems like a lot more customers are dealing with, let's say, 50 users or less in most cases. So in that in that respect, maybe maybe I'll just take out the caveat for size and just live in it to FileMaker Cloud is good for new customers. Um, we've got old customers testing FileMaker Cloud right now, putting it through its paces. They're running basic robot machines and things like that using FileMaker Cloud. And so far, it's been running beautifully. Uh, and I'm sure it will uh, for years to come. So any customer that doesn't have those limitations of PHP, heavy ODBC, uh, plugins, uh, XML, 
any of the limitations, and if they're not burdened by those limitations, then FileMaker Cloud is definitely a viable solution. Um, as you get up in numbers, the price does go up. So you probably could save money using traditional hosting and traditional FileMaker. That's, I don't know where that cutoff is, but it's probably, um, you know, it doesn't get too far into the user account before you start realizing there's a savings by going the traditional way. For customers, so that's new customers um, with maybe low user accounts, FileMaker Cloud. FileMaker server, traditional server, I think works for everybody, absolutely everybody, um, even the small companies. And even though Michael had pointed out there was a company that has two users, FileMaker server, five user doesn't really fit, that's, the, that's really going to be the only choice going forward because peer-to-peer uh, -peer is gone and server is, you know, minimal server is five. That's just the way it goes. So I think FileMaker server traditional works for everyone and it works whether you want your data hosted on premises or in the cloud, you've got the choice. If you stick with FileMaker server traditional, you get the choice of hosting it yourself on-prem, hosting it with your own favorite data center in the cloud on your own, hosting with a company like us, a FileMaker hosting company, or um, yeah, I guess that's it, those three. Those are the three. But you do need to have a little bit more expertise and a little bit more responsibility thrown on your plate in order to do traditional FileMaker server. Like I said, the the Cloud 2.0 is one-stop shopping. Everything's done for you. It's, you said it was the VIP system, and that's really what it is, and it works well for that. And I think it's it's something, it fits this niche that hasn't been there before that it's always been the blockade for some people that, oh, I got to buy a machine and what kind of, uh, you know, what, what kind of hardware, you know, do I need? I have to read this long article about it. And then, and then I have to go ahead and worry about license and installing my SSL certificate and this and that. So you, they're in backups and it just go, the list goes on and on and on. You have to know a significant amount to make FileMaker server work smoothly. And with this cloud 2.0, it's just simply just easy. Yes. Traditional FileMaker requires that you have traditional IT capability, at least some limited IT capability. When I say IT, the ability to install, maintain server-side software, procure and understand and configure servers, understand backup regimes, go to a process, understand firewall technology, SSL, the whole nine yards. It really does require a certain amount of IT expertise in today's day and age. Uh, obviously, throwing a FileMaker test server on a Mac is going to take three minutes and it's probably going to deploy just fine and you'll be fine for testing that local FileMaker server. If you want to study for your certification test, all of that works beautifully. In the real world, when you have a production FileMaker server, you can't just throw that up somewhere. You actually have to you know, pay attention to all the things and, and set it up properly, which is why we have a whole service that does that for people. Because a lot of customers are HIPAA compliant right now and they're HIPAA compliant because they host their own solution in-house and they've got it figured out and locked in a way that has made them uh, certified to do that or, you know, allowed to do that. They've already been um, blessed, validated. They don't want to break that validation, so they want to keep it in-house, but they may still not have the wherewithal to install all that with their own people. Even if their people are experts, they're still not experts in FileMaker Server, and it really is its own animal. So that's, that's how we said. stay in business, right? That's how we stay in business. That's how companies <laughs> like us stay in business. That's right. Contractors it, are great. You can hire them, come in to do a job, and then you don't have to pay them any <laughs> any benefits or anything like that. You just, they just leave at that point. But yep. uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. So I hope and 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 wonder that I would hope that FileMaker Server, traditional FileMaker Server, will last for years because I love having 
um, the ability to do really whatever you want to do on that server and build whatever kind of infrastructure around FileMaker Server that that I choose or that our customers choose. I think there's nothing more flexible and powerful than having those options at your fingertips. At the same time, I also appreciate a customer being able to put in a credit card, click a button and have FileMaker Server up and running and really getting the work done. Back to the old days where it was really that easy before FileMaker Server. You remember you just had FileMaker Pro and you'd simply build a database. And then to share it, you would simply turn on multi-user sharing. And there it was, you, you, you were sharing your database. Uh, pri- this is prior to server. I'm going way back. That's how what things, made fun. <laughs> What's that? How things have changed, right? Oh, they have really changed. But in a sense, this is the closest thing to that, to that paradigm. I think you, you started by mentioning this feels like the old days. In, in many ways, it is because they can share a database. They simply upload it to a server. And now it's available worldwide on world-class infrastructure without the pain and the struggle. So this has been a great discussion about hosting options. And hopefully we've made it a little bit clear for you. There's a lot of options out there. There's a, there, it's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins. There's a flavor for everybody, right? Not quite that many flavors, but you get the idea. You can have your FileMaker server, traditional FileMaker server. You can have the cloud, which is going to handhold you a lot. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to go. And, and you really should investigate each one of these even more thoroughly than we've covered in this podcast. So you choose w- the service that fits you best. And so I want to thank Mark for coming on here and, you know, sharing his expertise, spending the time here, educating the market. And uh, any last things you want to say uh, as, as we're going out and, and going back to our jobs? Yeah, and the great thing is, is if you actually even call Productive Computing, they actually answer the phone. It's really cool. I, I remember a long time ago contacting a company by phone, leaving a message, and then they emailed me back. I'm like, I don't even know how they got my email address. <laughs> but that's the great thing about Productive is they're, they're real people there and they'll talk to you. So, Yeah, I appreciate that. And other than our when we're closed during business, you know, during non-business hours where we won't answer the phone directly. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During business hours, we do our best to answer every phone call and get it forwarded to the to the right people. So, no, thanks for those kudos, John. I really appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk about this. You know, it's a subject I love. Great. Well, this is uh, 
Fireside FileMaker. My name is John Mark Osborne. Michael had to leave earlier, so I'll sign out for him. And thanks for listening and give us that feedback. We really like to hear from people either something that you, we missed in the podcast or maybe a podcast idea had. Several of our podcasts have come from people listening to him and saying, hey, I'd like to learn more about that. So we appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.